Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is A.L. Hook, author of the debut novel, Daughter of the Antediluvian World, an Atlantis origin story. A.L., welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here, Jeff. Sure. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your debut novel, Daughter of the Antediluvian World, how would you describe the novel? Yeah. So for starters, the book was written to be a standalone novel. Um, My intention was to move on to a new series once it was released and just kind of get my feet wet um, in the kind of the publishing and writing world with this. But it's kind of taken on a life of its own. And I've received enough requests for a sequel that I'm thinking about starting to brainstorm the next chapter of this adventure. So it it could become a series. Um, So stay tuned for that. But the story is a sci-fi action adventure um, that follows my heroine, Ryan Jones, um, an underwater archaeologist and kind of a bit of a loner on her quest for answers about her mysterious past. Um, Her parents were killed when she was a young girl, and the investigation into their deaths went cold when the police learned that her parents didn't actually exist before moving into their quiet neighborhood in Maine. So after spending her life trying to track down any clues, she starts to experience some physical and even some psionic changes, uh, vivid dreams about an ancient city sinking under the sea, new abilities that she can't explain that cause her to kind of look into her own genetics for answers. Uh, And what she finds leads her on an adventure across the globe from her home in North Carolina to a small island off the coast of Greece to South America. Um, And as she picks up clues, she kind of quickly learns that her search for her own origins is actually a search for the lost city of Atlantis. That's great. And do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to writing this debut novel? Oh, gosh. It's uh, It's been a story a long time coming for me, I think. Um, I've always been fascinated by myths and legends with multiple points of origin. So stories like the legend of Atlantis that have been told across time and across the globe throughout history. Um, there are literally dozens of cultures with flood myths spanning millennia and on every continent. So I've kind of always been interested in the different stories that have come up and the different theories that have come up kind of about the story of Atlantis. Um, But I was actually in a mythology course in college when the original idea for this book came to me. And at its inception, it was going to be more of a Greek mythology fantasy, uh, something closer to the story of Atlantis that was told in Plato's dialogues. And I think I've started writing that story more times than I can count. Um, It wasn't until I started thinking like the authors that I love to read, Michael Crichton, James Rollins, A.G. Riddle, that I began to kind of apply facts and science to the equation. And it really took off from there. Well, what was your writing journey before you wrote your first novel? Had you always wanted to write? What what kind of led up to this? Yeah, I've been writing for most of my life in one form or another. So, in fact, my parents just moved and dropped off a box of all my old schoolwork. So <laughs> I now have physical proof that I developed my first character in the second grade. Um, but so this is my first kind of full length published work. Um, and, and like I mentioned, I... I tried many times to write this book in the past, um, but without any kind of process or actual knowledge about how to write a novel. Um, After I got married in 2019, I decided to finally make a real effort to publish this book. My husband is an incredibly entrepreneurial and supportive person and really had me thinking that this was a good idea. Uh, So I started researching how to write a book. And I found a number of online resources and groups that kind of helped me lay the foundation and, and really plan it out a little bit better. 
And I leaned on the skills that I had developed in copywriting and in journalism throughout my career to finally find a system that worked. So it it took me more than a year to write the first draft because I was kind of learning the mechanics of writing a novel at the same time. But as soon as I had plotted out the whole storyline and, and was able to see kind of the path from the beginning of beginning to the end, there there was really no stopping me at that point. So you mentioned this writing system. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? What does that entail for you? Yeah. So I I have always been very much of an outliner, very much of a plotter in any writing that I do, whether it's a research paper or a, a news article. Um, I kind of research something to within an inch of its life and really over outline um, before I start writing. And that felt like a really kind of monumental task when it came to writing a novel. So, you know, anytime I tried to do this, I kind of just jumped in and thought, let's just, let's just try it. Um, but I, I kind of applied that principle, kind of my plotting principle um, to this and also found a system online of um, kind of five key milestones and kind of really understanding the different ups and downs that a character should go through in the plot of a story. Um, so from there, I, I'm sure I overdid the outlining a little bit, um, but I had learned my lesson from so many failed attempts that I wanted to have every plot hole closed and every character flaw developed before I sat down to write. So um, just the outline and the research that went into this took me several months. Uh, but once I did that, I was able to kind of sit down and freely write and develop my characters. And, and it kind of took on its took on its own life from there. And you talked about these these five stages. Do you remember was was there a specific system that you that you found or 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 um, plotting technique? Can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah. So the the five milestones that I found, I actually learned a little bit through um, a couple of different places, and really the the concept was just the different um, failures that that a character needs to go through. You know, I hadn't really realized how much pain you're supposed to put a character through in order to make a to make a story engaging um so kind of what i had found the different milestones i had found were um the ups and downs the different challenges and you know problems that a character was supposed to face as they go um all the way through the book so kind of starting from that first initial action sequence that kind of gets your reader hooked and sets the storyline um, and then kind of allowing them to grow and develop, but then still hit these major pitfalls as they go throughout the story. So giving them a little bit of hope um, and having them helping them make some progress throughout the plot line of the story and then kind of knocking them right back down again, which um, is a little difficult to do when you start to fall in love with your characters. But uh, it, it really made for a much more engaging uh, novel with with quite a few different cliffhangers and, and different plot lines for me. Well, your novel is self-published. How was the self-publication process for you? It it has been uh, a very interesting challenge. Um, I am a marketer by trade. So, you know, in my mind, I was thinking that this was going to be a, a fairly easy thing to do. You know, I publish content and promote content all day long. And it really was a very different experience. Um, I had to really learn every step of the publishing process as I went through it. And it's it's really been an incredibly interesting journey from a professional perspective for me as a marketer, 
uh, and also as a as a first time published writer to to really go through the process that that is publishing a book, um, you know, from editing to formatting to cover design to setting pricing. There's so many different things that go into publishing a book that you don't think about at all when you pick up a book at Barnes and Noble or order on Amazon. And it's it's been very interesting and intriguing to kind of go through that whole process. And I, I know that it slowed down the release of this book for me as I kind of learned each of those stages. But I think now that that's something that I have done uh, and I've kind of learned from my mistakes and, you know, learned from my successes in, in getting this book published, uh, I, I know that's a skill set that I'll be able to carry through uh, to future to future books. Well, if there are listeners who are pursuing self-publication or thinking about self-publishing, do you have any tips or suggestions from your own experience thus far? Yeah, I would say, you know, just stick with it and kind of find and own your own process. Uh, I did a lot of research into the proper way to write a book, the proper way to publish a book. And there truly are so many gurus and courses out there that claim to all have the best process for writing and self-publishing a book. And some of them are incredibly helpful and some of them are pushing you to publish in a ridiculously short amount of time. And some of them are very expensive. And it's it can be easy to fall down a little bit of a rabbit hole when you're trying to find the right way to do something as opposed to just sitting down and doing it. So I, you know, one group that that I kind of relied heavily on at first really pressured me to get my book out in three months or less, which is something that I kind of found absurd, especially with a full-time job. And I really wanted to be able to enjoy the process and marinate on my characters. And I, you know, had so many people telling me that done is better than perfect. Uh, but as a perfectionist, I just, I wasn't sure that that, that worked for me. So I didn't want to settle for just done. And all the, all the, that pressure was kind of taking the joy out of the project. So eventually I just tuned it all out. I, I used what was very instrumental, you know, the, the different plot points and things like that, that I learned from those groups to make this novel successful. But then I kind of just poured my heart and soul into it and took control of the process and did it my own way. And did it take me more than a year to finish? Yes. Um, did I end up settling on some things in the end just to finally hit publish? Yes. But I'm thrilled with the results and and I'm proud of doing it myself and doing it my own way. So I, I would say to anybody who is kind of getting caught up in the right way to do it, to just do, you know, do what feels right, do what feels natural and really enjoy the process. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sure. 
I mean, on a personal note, I've all I've often wondered about the um, the advice that you see all over the place now in terms of self publishing about speed, and as you said, um, done is better than perfect. I think there's, and again, in my opinion, I think there's probably a small minority, a very small minority that can that can work at that at that pace and turn out um, really compelling books. Um, my argument would be, um, if someone is turning out that much, uh, fiction and those, that many books, eventually your readers are going to not enjoy if it's not well-written, if it's not really good. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I completely agree. And as somebody who the, this is my original brainchild, right. And I'm sure that this is the case for a lot of authors, but you know, I've, I've had this story kind of rolling around in my mind for so long. Uh, a, a decade, you know, that sitting down and getting it out on paper in three months just didn't seem like I'd be able to do it justice. So. Yeah. Are you writing another novel now? Right now, I have a lot of my um, energy and effort kind of focused on promoting uh, this one. But mm-hmm. I, like I said, I have really started, you know, I've gotten a lot of questions about my characters and and what's going to happen next. And is there going to be a sequel? So I was originally planning on on moving on to a a new kind of adventure series, but I think you know there might be a little bit more to Ryan Jones' story here. So I am starting to uh, to begin to plot out a a sequel to Daughter of the Antediluvian World while I'm kind of working on my marketing strategy for for the debut novel. That's great. Well, what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think the last book that I read that truly kind of blew my mind and had me thinking about things well after I was finished um, was The Starless Sea by Erin Morgenstern. Uh, It's really a trip. She has a phenomenal imagination. Um, And I know, I think I already name dropped him once, but I'm a huge fan of A.G. Riddle's work and his latest standalone novel, The Extinction, Extinction Trials, just came out. So I'm just getting into that, and that's definitely sucking me in quickly, as his books always do. That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novels? My website is a great place to start, uh, alhook.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram. My handle on both of those channels is at alhookbooks, and hook does have an E. Uh, I love to get feedback, questions from readers. I take time every single day to engage on social media and to answer questions. So I would definitely encourage anybody who's interested to reach out. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with A.L. Hook, author of the debut novel, Daughter of the Antediluvian World, an Atlantis origin story. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And A.L., thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much, Jeff. Great. Thanks a lot. Now, stay tuned as A.L. Hook reads from her novel, Daughter of the Antediluvian World, an Atlantis origin story. Daughter of the Antediluvian World, an Atlantis origin story by A.L. Hook. Part 1, United States. Chapter 1, May 18th, 2020. 8.19 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Washington, North Carolina. The day her life changed forever began with a mysterious delivery and a horrific hangover. Well, shit. It was one of those hangovers. 
the kind that comes not only with a reality-bending headache, but also the unshakable and intangible anxiety that often follows a night of drinking to forget. Hangxiety, she remembered someone calling it once. She smiled slightly at that, but decided a laugh was more than she could manage. It was going to be a long day. Ray Jones pulled at the roll of paper towels standing next to the sink, wadding up more than was probably necessary to sop up the spilled coffee now spreading across her white countertops. That's going to stain. The errant thought energized her pickled brain just enough to get her limbs moving. With the coffee crisis averted, she turned her attention back to her phone. She reached over and tapped the screen tentatively as if it might spring to life and bite her hand. She cringed as the screen woke, showing her a barrage of notifications for missed calls and texts. Was that a Snapchat notification? She didn't even know she had Snapchat. Dr. Frida Weatherman had been Riot's therapist, confidant, maternal figure, and friend for longer than she could remember. Now she could add Uber driver to that list. Ryan tried to recall the sloppy late-night phone call she'd made to Frida after the bartender suggested she look for a ride home. She vaguely remembered her petulant silence on the ride, stumbling through her front door, trying to sober herself up by washing her face and brushing her teeth, but failing to actually change out of her work clothes before crashing into bed. In hindsight, she knew she should have just called an Uber. There would have been a lot fewer questions, but she hadn't even thought of it. Getting blindingly drunk on a weeknight wasn't exactly a frequent occurrence for her, but in last night's case, she felt justified. She'd been eating dinner when the vision started. It came on so suddenly she didn't have a chance to prepare. One minute, she was shoveling pad thai into her mouth at her couch on North Carolina, and the next, she was crouching in the crawl space beneath the burning ruins of her childhood home, hundreds of miles of a lifetime away. She could see her mother and father's lifeless bodies on the floor, several feet away. She was eye-level with them, peering up through a crack in the trapdoor to the cramped space under the kitchen. Of course, in the memory, Ryden couldn't see their faces. She never could. She hadn't seen them since that day, before the fire. The flames hadn't just taken her parents' lives, they had erased every last trace of them. Every scrap of clothing, every photo, every memory up in smoke. The police said it was impossible for two people to live without leaving a trace. But months passed, and they were unable to recover even a single detail about the young couple who had been killed in the freak electrical fire. Except for the three-year-old child locked safely in a panic room under the kitchen. The case went cold. By the time the file was moved from unsolved to cold, Ryan had already lived in two foster homes with two of what would become a long list of families who wanted to help the beautiful mystery girl until they didn't. Ryan attracted unwanted attention her entire life. Her tumbling platinum blonde hair was practically iridescent. It fell well past her shoulders in striking contrast to her olive skin. Even before moving to the South, she looked deeply tan all year long. She often knotted her striking locks up on top of her head or weaved them into a loose braid that cascaded over her shoulder to detract attention, but could never quite bring herself to dye it. It was part of what made her who she was, even if she didn't have many clues to the mystery behind her appearance. Her athletic build only added to her intrigue. She was tall and lean. The muscles of her shoulders and back were broad and strong from years of yoga, a practice she turned to anytime the strange realities of her life became too much to bear. She dressed simply, with a concerted lack of accessories and flair to avoid attention. It never really worked. More often than not, people found her lack of effort even more appealing. But it was her light gray eyes that really drew people in. They hinted at the depths of mystery just under the surface of Ryan's effectively calm exterior. She worked hard at appearing normal, but the effort never quite reached her eyes. She knew Frida would want to know what had happened, what she'd seen, but she wasn't ready to talk about it now and certainly hadn't been last night. So instead, she'd ventured down to the waterfront to clear her head and quickly traded fresh air for a cold draft beer. Or six. 
Ryan flipped her phone screen side down on the counter, grabbed her now half full mug of coffee, and moved toward the bathroom for a shower. A loud ringing turned her around before she could reach the hall. She watched a second too long as her phone, which she'd placed perilously close to the edge of her breakfast bar, vibrated itself right over the edge. It crashed to the floor with a dull metallic thud just as the doorbell rang. Ryan tilted her head back and closed her eyes. I'm never drinking again. Willing herself to move, she reached for her phone first. She silenced the shrill ringing before answering. I'm sorry. There was really no other way to start this conversation. You could have at least invited me to drink with you. Frida's raspy voice had a way of putting Ryan at ease, even when it was tinged with irritation. What happened? Listen, Doc, I appreciate the rescue mission last night. I do. But can we not do this now? I'm already late for work, and I'm not exactly moving quickly this morning. The excuse reminded Ryan that she was, in fact, very late for work. She padded slowly over to the front door, first peeking out the side window. It was strange to get a delivery this early, and she was entirely incapable of dealing with a solicitor. A small package, neatly wrapped in brown paper and tied with a knot of twine, sat on the first step. She eyed it curiously as Frida lectured her. Ryan, we've talked about this. You can't repress these memories forever. I know you struggle with all the unknowns surrounding your parents' deaths, but this isn't healthy. Absent-mindedly, Ryan dropped the package on the counter and headed for the bathroom. Just come over. The lab will understand. The lab would understand. She was an ex- exemplary employee who hadn't missed as much of a phone call in the four years she'd worked there. I can't. Ryan heard the stacks of beaded bracelets and bangles that regularly lined Frida's wrists jingling and pictured the woman throwing her hands up in the air in frustration. She smiled at the mental image, remembering a time when Frida was much more professional with her and much less like an aggravated mother. I will, Frida. I need to go into the lab for a couple of hours, but we'll do our usual time tonight. A heavy sigh, and then see you then. Ryan clicked off the phone and stepped into the shower, willing the hot water to wash away her hangover and her memories. Twenty minutes later, she was dressed in her standard uniform, a plain t-shirt tucked casually into a pair of jeans and her classic Chuck Taylors. Her long blonde hair was twisted into a wet braid that still leaked water onto her shirt. She shouldered her purse, abandoning her half-empty travel mug. Today was a job for real coffee. She turned back to the door, but the small package sitting on the counter caught her eye. She had managed to forget about it already. She lifted the box, inspecting the plain but immaculate wrapping. The only marking was her address in tight, neat lettering. There was no return address. Pulling on the neat, twine bow, the paper unfolded unassisted like an origami flower. Inside was an unmarked black box. When she cracked it open, a small slip of paper fluttered to the floor, revealing a shiny metal pendant about the size of a quarter, strung onto a simple leather cord. It gleamed copper, like a shiny penny, but when Ryan turned it in the light, she caught glimpses of silver and bronze. It was unlike any metal she'd ever seen. The strange piece was artfully bent and twisted into a symbol that resembled a three-pronged trident. On closer inspection, Ryan could see the surface of the charm was scored with scored with other symbols, but they were impossibly small and difficult to make out. It was beautiful in its simplicity, and Ryan felt drawn to it immediately. She studied it a moment longer, wondering where it could have come from. Remembering the note, she retrieved it from where it had, naturally, webbed webbed itself among the legs of her kitchen table. There were only two short lines written on it, but they were enough to turn her blood to ice. May you find your way home. We miss you. It wasn't signed, but she knew exactly who the gift had come from. It seemed impossible. They died 22 years ago, but she was undeniably sure. It was a gift from her parents.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.